Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. It's a privilege to stand here and uh, thanks for this opportunity and thanks for welcoming us as a family uh, into the church and thank you for welcoming us. Uh, I've got a I've got a picture of my family in case you haven't worked out who they are. There they are. Aren't they beautiful? So my lovely wife, Maya, um, and then we've got Ruby, who's the eldest. Um, Izzy, who's the lookalike of Maya. Um, Ruby's kind of like me. And then Tessa and Ida. Um, and yeah, so I'm blessed with four daughters. Woo! Yeah. We're going to get a cat when we get a new house, and it's going to be a boy. Uh, <laughs> I haven't told the girls that, but it's going to be a boy. Um, yeah, so uh, we moved here. You can take that down. I'm seeing myself that big. is a bit scary. Um, we moved here from, uh, from Tamaru in January. It's actually going to be uh, six months to the day when we move into a new house. We've finally bought a house. So we've been living with my in-laws for, uh, for six months, and I'm incredibly grateful to them for opening up their house to us, but it's been a challenge. Uh, <laughs> It's been, it's been hard, um, so we are so looking forward to being in our, in our own house. Uh, so we moved up here because Matt uh, lectures at Laidlaw College, so it's kind of the main Bible college in New Zealand, um, so she's the really smart one. Um, at some point you'll hear her preach and uh, it'll blow your mind, but today you got me. Um, so uh, I, I work at the Champion Centre, which is a child development service over at based at Burwood Hospital, I'm a pediatric physio, so I'm doing that a couple of days a week, I'm also doing some study in theology at the moment, uh, and considering whether I want to pastor a church ever again, uh, no, it's been, it's been lovely uh, having six months off, I did say to Jono, I'm not doing anything for six months, and I think pretty much, almost to the day, he's got me standing here, um, so, so that's cool, uh, today I want to, I want to speak to you, I said, uh, to John, you know, what do you want me to speak on? He gave me a topic. He said, oh, we're going to, we're kind of starting a series. So this is kind of the start of a series. I don't know how that looks, but uh, we're kind of starting a series called Gifted and Graced. Um, this is like the soft start um, to ease you into it. Uh, so if you want a title, you can call it What is in My Heart and What is in My Hands. And uh, I want to I actually start and kind of base my sermon around a, a quote from a, a famous old dude. Uh, his name is St. Thomas of Aquinas. He's a really influential thinker from the medieval times, um, hugely influential in Western philosophy. Uh, but he said this in 1273, and it really grabbed me, and I want to I kind of speak around this today. Three things are necessary for the salvation of man, to know what he ought to believe, to know what he ought to desire, and to know what he ought to do. Now, I'm sorry that he said that in gender-specific terms because this was 1273. Um, so to modernize it, three things are necessary for a person's salvation. To know what they ought to believe, to know what they ought to desire, and to know what they ought to do. And this, this matrix kind of, of, of how to think about our lives just grabbed me. And I was like, wow, there's some really profound truth in that. And, and, and it actually overlays, or at least in, in my mind it does, it overlays on this idea of what is in our heart and what is in our hand. You see, what is in our heart is what we desire, and what is in our hand is what we do. So 
I'd love to pray, and then I'm really believing that, that you're going to be inspired this morning to, to take this idea and to apply it to your, own, to your own world. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you that your word is living and active, and I pray that you would speak through me this morning. I would just be a vessel for you, and Lord, we pray for our hearts to be opened, and you to change and to shift something in us so that the desires of our heart line up with your desires, and that we do what you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So the foundation of it all is what we believe, right? What we believe. And, that, and that's it's, it's of vital importance. And the gospel of, of Jesus is, is essentially our foundation. And I, I, I'm suspecting most of you know that, but I'm just going to brush over it quickly just, just to get you in that space. We believe we are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, the, 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 the we uh, are created to be like Him and to follow in His footsteps. The trouble is we've fallen at some point. Uh, there's the original fall, Adam and Eve, but then also we uh, as individuals fall short of the perfection of God. See, God wanted relationship with us, but He is a holy and righteous and perfect God, and we are in our fallenness. There's a, there's a gap between us. And, and to bridge that gap, He sent Jesus, His only Son, to die on a cross to take the, the penalty for the, the wrong that we've done that have kept has kept us from him, and to make a way for us to have a relationship with him. And then he rose again to prove that he really was the Son of God. And then he sent his Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, to live in us. There you go. That's the gospel in one minute. That's what we believe. That's our foundation, right? And that is incredibly important, but I think too many Christians kind of stop there. And they're like, yeah, I've got, I know what I believe, Therefore, you know, I'll just live out the rest of my 70 years on life and it'll be sweet. But there's so much more that God has in store for us. And I think, I, I, I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of cultural, what we would call cultural Christians. People who know what they believe, but then do nothing else beyond that. And, you, and you, you, you've seen this, I think, in the last couple of years. Unfortunately, we've seen a lot of the cultural Christians kind of fall away. Because they're like, oh, well, I, you know, church isn't that important, and I've kind of... And you guys, you're the faithful. You're the remnant. You're the one who is still here. And I know that today you're going to capture or recapture that, that desire and, that, and the idea of you're actually called to do something with your faith. You can't simply believe the right things and stop there. In fact, if you believe the right things, then you won't stop there. You can't stop there. Because the, believing the right things actually cause you to do something with them. If you don't believe the right things, then you won't do anything with them. You, you hear what I'm saying? So actually, if you've got your foundational beliefs right, then you'll, you will desire God and you will do something with that. Because the gospel itself is actually quite simple, right? It's not rocket science. I shared it with you just now in a minute. But sometimes we get caught up in the need to know all the fancy stuff. I'm talking to you people who have to work out when Jesus is returning from the book of Revelation. Just take it at you. Jesus says we won't know. Just let that be enough for you. You're not going to work it out. Because there are far more important questions, and I think Thomas of Aquinas touches on those important questions. Not so much what we believe we get that, but actually what, what should we desire? And what should we do with those desires in our life? And so my prayer today is really that you'll be inspired again to realize actually God's placed desires on my heart that are, that are specific to me. 
Because the desires that God places on your heart, yes, the beliefs are all the same. We share the same beliefs, but the desires are different for every one of us. And that's right, and that's how it should be. And those desires will cause you to have different meaning in your life and different purpose in your life. The powerful thing is that when those two things align, what, what we desire and what we do, when they align in our lives, that's where powerful things happen. That's where God can move. That's where you see people just, you just, you see them and you're like, man, they are doing what they're called to do. They are running in their lane and that is amazing. And that is what I believe God wants for all of us. And so today we're going we're gonna to look at four people who I, I feel give us an insight into what it looks like. It, this isn't so much points as it is kind of storytelling. I'm going to share with you about the lives of these people and how they, how they got the desires and the things that they did right, or some of them, or at least one of them got it wrong. And so, I mean, I could touch on any number of people from the Bible. There are so many, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Esther, Gideon, I could go on. People who, who caught the desire of God and then did something with it. But today we're going to look at four people. Two kings, one solo mum, and a cyclist. One of these may not be from the Bible. I'll let you, I'll let you work out which one that is. It's a tough one. Uh, yeah, so, so we're going to dive in, and we're going to dive in with the cyclist, because basically, if you know me from Timaru, every sermon that I preach has to have some reference to cycling in it somewhere. Because, and let's be honest, the greatest sporting event uh, of the world is happening right now as we speak. And if you don't know what that is, shame on you. Uh, no, we don't put shame in, on you in church. But the Tour de France is happening right now. Um, and you should watch it. It's better than the rugby. Um, <laughs> just saying, unless you're going to go compete in the uh, Commonwealth Games and, and you're, you're excused. Uh, but for the rest of you, cycling's the way of the future. So there's a fellow by the name of Gino Bartelli. Any Italians in the room? No, okay. Well, buongiorno, uh, if that is you. Uh, so Gino Bartali is a cycling legend who won numerous grand tours um, in and around World War II. So he won uh, three, three Giro d'Italia's, that's the Tour of Italy, and he won two Tour de France's. So he was a, he, he was a big deal. He was a hero, actually, leading up to World War II. II he, was, he was like probably one of the most well-known sportsmen in Europe. And uh, by that stage, he had won two Giros and, and one Tour de France. But it was his actions in World War II that, in, in my mind, make him a real hero. You see, he still rode during the war years. He won an Italian national title in 1940, and he had top five finishes in some other big races, Milan Sanremo and, and others. And this was important because it gave him a reason to go out training. And he covered hundreds of miles across the Italian countryside, and when he was stopped by members of the ruling fascist party, because Italy at that time was allied with Germany, so they were the, the bad guys, they're part of the axis of evil. And uh, while he was out there, he could, he could explain, well, I'm, I'm training for these, these big events. And that was really important. He could say that, and then he could say, don't touch my bike, because it's set up to my exact specifications. And the importance of that is the fact that he had documents hidden on his bicycle, counterfeit papers 
that were stashed under his saddle and in his frame that Bartali was smuggling to help Jewish Italians escape persecution. And Bartali worked for, with a Jewish resistance group in Italy, transporting these forged papers between Florence and a convent where a whole bunch of Jews were hiding. And he was a vital courier for them. And he, he actually went beyond that. He harbored uh, a, a Jewish family in his cellar for a, over a year. Um, but it's estimated, and I don't know exactly, it's estimated that Bartelli helped save 800 Jews over the course sort of uh, the war. And the full extent, this is a beautiful thing, the full extent of his actions actually only came to light after his death in the year 2000. He never spoke about it. He never sought recognition. And he's only ever recorded as saying this, some medals are pinned to your soul, not to your jacket. It's a beautiful story. It's a powerful story. An incredible example of one man who carried something in his heart. And he used what was in his hand to make a reality. See, if we go back one step further, Bartali had a foundation. He was known as Gino the Pious uh, to, to the Italian um, media. He was, he was a devout Catholic. He would go to mass during, during big stage races. So he had that foundation, but then he also had this desire to save the lives of, of those who are being persecuted in his nation. And he had something in his hand, literally handlebars, in his hands, the ability to bike, pretty much unmolested across the Italian countryside. And because of his fame, they wouldn't touch him. What a waste it would have been if Bartali had decided, oh, well, I'm going to join the Italian resistance and uh, picked up a gun and got himself killed. He would never have won any more bike races and he wouldn't have saved so many lives. See, I think, and he wouldn't have framed it like this, but Bartali had this idea of St. Thomas of Aquinas. That he, he knew what he believed. He knew the, the desire that God had placed in his heart to make a difference. And he knew what he was good at. He knew what he was called to do what he had in his hand. And he put those three things together and he was a hero. If we look at a couple of kings, we'll go to the Bible because I can't just talk about cycling all day. Although, come talk to me afterwards, we can. And I can talk to to France. Um, we're going to compare and contrast two kings uh, because I think they, they both capture this idea really well. One gets it wrong and one gets it right. And the two kings are... King Saul and King David. And they were, they were kings right one after the other. King Saul was the first king of Israel. And if you look at the, the, the life of the King Saul, he wasn't actually such a bad dude. Like, I think he gets a bad rap. He was simply pushed around by his very human desires. Just like, if we're honest, we often are. You could say that he had disordered desires in his life. In his life, and those disordered desires made him act kind of poorly. If you look at the things he did wrong, they were they were just driven by very relatable things. Firstly, fear. So, a lot of you know the story of, of David and Goliath. What you might not realize is that when Goliath is is facing off against the Israel army and and uh, shouting his his defiance, um, he's really calling out Saul because Goliath, Goliath is a giant, right? But you see, Saul, it says in the Bible that Saul stood head and shoulders above everyone else in Israel. So, so Saul was kind of the, 
the giant of Israel. And he was also the king. So if anyone was going to go out and fight for the nation, it was Saul. And yet, day after day, Saul is hiding away in his tent, afraid to come out. He's ruled by fear. Jealousy. So David comes out and does this thing, and then you know they're heading back into Jerusalem, and, and the crowds are shouting, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And Saul hears this, and he's like, oh, that's not so good. I'm, I'm the man. I'm the king. Why are they, why are they adulating him over me? And, and this causes Saul to get incredibly jealous of David. And for years and years, he hounds David. He chases him around mountains and in through caves and all over the countryside just because he's a bit jealous. Again, just a very human desire. Pride. There's a, there's a story of how Saul essentially gets rejected as the king of Israel. And it's actually just based on pride. We could read it about it in some, 1 Samuel 15. I'm not going to read it all now, but I'll summarize it for you. Saul is told by God through the prophet Samuel to attack the Amalekites. And he's supposed to completely wipe them out, uh, completely kill everyone and everything, including all their livestock. So Saul attacks and kills almost everyone. He leaves their king and he leaves a whole lot of their livestock, the best of their livestock. And Samuel comes to Saul. Samuel's the prophet, and he's, so he knows things. But he's also got ears. And he says, oh, I can hear sheep. I can hear cows. Why? And Saul says, oh, yeah, I kept the best of them so I could sacrifice to God. And this is what Samuel says, and I'll quote it in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Tell me, Samuel said, does the Lord really want sacrifices and offerings? No, he doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants you to obey him. Rebelling against God or disobeying him because you are proud is just as bad as worshiping idols or asking them for advice. You refuse to do what God told you. So God has decided that you can no longer be king. So again, just a very human desire, pride in Saul's life and it, and it basically loses him the kingship. And then there's anger. Saul's <laughs> in a blind rage, you ask what was in his hand. Well, what was in his hand is a spear at that time. And in blind rage, he throws it at David, who's just doing his beautiful harp playing thing in the corner. And so Saul is, he's a very human person. He's just these things that are in his heart, anger, jealousy, fear, pride. There are things that we all, at some stage in our lives, we struggle with as well. So Saul failed because of what was in his heart. And I kind of think, well, I struggle with those things. What makes me any different? What makes us any different? Well, I guess the thing is, and this is where we'll get on to David, is that there's a difference between Saul and David. David was also had some faults. Like he was not without uh, issues, right? The, you, you just have to look at what he did. Um, you know, committing adultery and then basically putting a hit on the, on the husband of uh, the woman he committed adultery with. Uh, that's, not, that's not ideal. Um, but what the difference between David and Saul is, is that David recognizes that he's fallen. 
And he has the humility to come before God and, and say, look, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I've stuffed up. Will you forgive me? And there's still, there's still consequences to David's actions. Like you just got to go read Kings and you'll see there's consequences there. But, but David, David's just his attitude, his desire is different. I actually think Saul and David had very similar foundational belief. You know, they believe in the same one God. Their, their, their foundation was the same, but the desires of their heart were very different. Saul was just pushed around by his human desires, whereas David had a godly desire to honor God and all that he did. And we see that if we, if we look more closely at a couple of, or one instance of David's life. You, you know this instance. I've alluded to it already, but David and Goliath. Here we see the heart, the desire. Remember we are talking about that, the heart and the hand. Well, for, for David, his heart was, was for God. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 26, David has come to the battlefield and he hears Goliath defying the armies of the living God and shouting his abuse. And, and uh, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David has just got in his heart this desire to honor God and that God's name would be great and that nothing would defile it. And as he comes against Goliath, you read a little later, 1 Samuel 17, 45. I'm going to read it to you. It's an inspirational speech. David said to the Philistine, as he's coming towards him, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Wow, this is like a 14, 15-year-old kid running up to the giant and just saying this stuff. That is plucky, right? That is, that is it's another, there's another word I won't say in church. That is bold, very bold. But what was in... David's heart is just the desire to honor God. And what was in his hand? A small stone and a sling. Not much. And I think if there's a lesson there, it's that actually what we have in our heart is far more important than what we have in our hand. Actually, David didn't have a lot in his hand. Yeah, he had a bit of training back in the day as a shepherd, but he had, you know, very little Goliath, has, it says he has this massive spear, 15 kilograms, I reckon, 12 foot 7 in length. Like, that's two times my height and then some. But I know, but Goliath himself is, they reckon, 7 foot 8 to 11 foot something. So he's not a small dude. Uh, but that's a ma- there's a lot more in Goliath's hands than in David's, right? But it doesn't matter. It's what's in David's heart. That matters. And so it doesn't matter so much. You think, oh, I haven't got much in my hand. I don't have a lot to offer God. Well, 
that's okay. Actually, you don't have to have a whole lot. You just have to have a desire for God's glory. To do something for Him. That's, that's all you need. Okay, one more Bible story. Because maybe you find it hard to relate to Italian cyclists and kings um, <laughs> who kill giants. I don't know. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But this person's a little bit, a little bit more relatable to, to, to some of you. It's about an ordinary woman. She's fallen on difficult times. There's global warming has kicked in. There's a drought. Um, she's a solo mum. Price of groceries has skyrocketed. No, they didn't have supermarkets. But uh, things were bad, and she didn't have a lot. She didn't have a lot. Uh, in fact, she had very little. And we'll, we'll, we'll read from 1 Kings 17. So uh, we're talking about the prophet Elijah here. 1 Kings 17, verse 7. It says, Sometime later, the brook dried up. So he'd been hanging by a brook and drinking and being fed by ravens and things. Because there'd been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, Oh, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. It's a bit dramatic. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make me a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So if we look at this story through that matrix again of, this, of, of our uh, beliefs and our desires and our actions, well, the, the widow, if you think about her belief, I think the start of the story, her belief is she's going to die. <laughs> like, she might have had some faith in God somewhere, but really her, her belief was uh, she didn't have a lot. It was pretty hopeless. But her belief changed when Elijah gives her some hope. He says, hey, you know, do this, and then you'll, you'll have food. You'll be okay. And so all of a sudden there's a, there's a shift there in her, in, in her belief system, and that gives her hope. And I think if we look at her desires, well, I would say that she desired to live. And she desired that her, her, her son would live also. But actually in that moment, her desire was to honor the prophet of God. To honor God by giving to this man of God in his moment of need. So her desire was, and it's incredible because her action is amazing. She has just enough to make one final meal for herself before she dies. 
and yet she gives the first of that to this stranger. Wow. How many of you? You know, we just, it blows our mind to ever be in that position, to be that hungry that we're actually just going to go home and die, first of all. But to be in that space and then have a stranger come and say, oh, God's told me you should make a meal for me first. <laughs> oh, okay, random person. I'll make you a meal first and then I'll go die. Stuff you. <laughs> no, that's what you'll be thinking, right? And yet, and yet she doesn't. She's like, yeah, okay, I'll make you this meal. It's incredible. But then there's, if we, if we think about that, her desire was to honor God with their life. And she had very, very little. Once again, it's more important what you desire, who you desire to honor than, than what you actually have in your hand. And so today, I, I, I guess I want to I wanna ask these three questions of us because I want us to have a wrestle with them ourselves. Because I think for too long as as Christians, we, we just focus on what we believe and we forget actually there's, there's deeper layers that we need to work out over the course of our lives, what God's placed on us that we desire and then what we do with those desires. And so, yeah, I really want to ask these three questions of us today and I want us to take some time around them to hear from God. You've heard from me a little bit this morning and hopefully you've been encouraged, but I want us to, to hear from God in this moment we're going to create that, that he can speak and say, okay, actually, for you, I've got, I've got desires that I've placed in your heart. And maybe those desires have been there a long time, and you've kind of pressed them down because that you haven't seen them worked out. Or maybe the last couple of years have just been so cray-cray that, that you've put them to the side and things have, but actually God's still got those desires for your life. He's got, he's got things for you to do in the midst of the craziness of this world that we're in at the moment. And so I'm going to invite the band up. And, uh, and, I, and I want us to, to ask these three questions. What do you believe? What do you desire? And what are you going to do? And I'm, I'm very aware that when we, th- when we think about that question of what do you desire, uh, sorry, what do you what do you believe? There will be people in this room who haven't got that foundation in their life yet. And, and can, I, can I just let you know that this is the most important question that everything else is built on. That's the ultimate question that, that everything hinges on. And we have to ask ourselves, what, what do I believe? Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, he says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice... And open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Such a beautiful image. God desires relationship with us. And he wants, he wants to sit, come and sit with us like a friend would have a meal. And guide us through our lives. And he's got, he's got good plans for all of us. So I, actually just said, why don't we all stand in this moment? But out of respect for those who are, who are not sure what they believe, or maybe, maybe they've, they, they have believed. Maybe you're here and you've believed, but actually your belief has kind of wandered. And you, you, if you were to come before God, you'd be like, well, actually, I don't know where I stand. 
then this is for you as well. But I really want us to ask that question, you know, what do I believe? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way that we have relationship with God the Father. And so in this moment, I want to give you an opportunity to come into that relationship. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart, and He just wants the opportunity to come in. So with every eye closed and head bowed in, in this place, if you're here this morning and you think, man, actually, I don't have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus, I need to get that right. I need to get that foundation right for, for my life, for my life here and now and for my life into eternity. If that's you here, I want you to do something. It's a brave thing, but it's a very simple thing. I want you to raise your hand. I'll see it and you can put it down and then we'll pray together. So just here in this moment, is there anyone who you think, yeah, no, actually I need to get my life right with, with God through His Son, Jesus. If that's you here, can you raise your hand and I'll see it and then you can put it down. Give you a moment because this is the most important decision. This is the most important question I'm going to ask today. What do you believe? Okay, I'm not seeing any hands. So I'm going to assume that your beliefs are, are firm, that you've got that foundation. So that's the first question. The second question is what do you desire? What do you desire? And I want to be honest with you in this moment that, you know, the, the easy answer is to say, oh, I desire God. I'm a Christian. I desire God. But I know that our desire for God waxes and wanes. I know that sometimes it's strong and sometimes it's not. And I, I just want to give you permission this morning to say that's okay. It's okay if you feel like, man, my desire for God is not what, it, what it, I want it to be. Often I feel like that. I think most Christians feel like that. Man, I, I don't desire God as much as I want. That's okay. That's actually fine. Because God's desire for you is far greater. And He's here and He's waiting. And He just wants to commune with you. And the thing is that when we, get a, when we just desire God, then, then His desires for our lives become our desires. That's the beautiful thing is that we don't have to work it out. We just desire Him and then He kind of drops it in. And, and those things begin to stir in us. So in this moment, I just want us to, to close our eyes. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do this twice. We're going to do this around our desires and then we're going to do this around what we do, our actions. But just in this moment with your eyes closed, maybe you want to open your hands up. I don't know, just in a posture of openness towards God, I want us to ask, God, what are your desires for my life? God, I, I, I desire you. Maybe that's the place to start now for you. Just, just, just start to pray in your spirit, man. Father, I, I desire you. Above all else, I'm sorry for where I've desired other things. I've put other things in front of you. I'm coming back to my first love. I'm coming back to you this morning. I desire you. I desire you like David desired to honor you. Like that widow desired to honor you. I desire to honor you in 
my life. And now, and now from this moment, I'm going to shut up and you're going to pray to God and you're going to ask God, what are the desires specific for me that you have for my life? What are those things that you have placed in my heart? Let's just ask God now to stir them in us. Father, I thank you that you have placed desires in our heart. Stir those things afresh in our lives, we pray. And God, let us not walk away from this and and, and be unchanged. Help us to write these down. Help us to store these up in our hearts again. And help us to apply them in our lives. And this is the final question. What's in your hand? And not just what's in your hand for the future, not just, you know, for then, when you've finished studying or when you've finished with that job or when your kids go to school or when they leave home or when you retire or when you're dead. Not then, but what's God got got in your hand right now? Because those desires that He's placed in your heart, they're not just for the future, that for now. And so we're going to pray again and I want you to ask God, what is it you want me to do right now, this week, maybe even today, there's a step towards fulfilling those desires that you've placed in my heart. Because if it doesn't, if it doesn't end in any kind of action, then this is just a wasted space. My whole nice little speech and telling you about cyclists is just useless to you unless you do something with it. So let's let's open ourselves one more time in this space and say, God, would you come and you, you give us a practical step, Father. Give us a practical step towards fulfilling the desires that you've placed in our heart. I'll give, give you some space just to commune with God around that now. Father, I thank you that you are a practical God, that you will give us practical steps when we ask. You care for our day to day. And so, Lord, I pray for for every life here that has been touched by your spirit, that something's been stirred around the desires that you've placed in their heart. I pray that you would give them practical steps. You give them the courage this week to go out and take those steps and to begin to change their world for your glory. Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch 